Scripture reading tonight comes from Judges chapter 3. Unlike this morning where we had quite a long passage to read, tonight it is the exact opposite, a very short passage. In fact, just one verse. So when you have found Judges 3 and verse 31, would you please rise for the reverent hearing of God's holy word. There we read, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Amen. You may be seated. What if your life was reduced to one sentence? You might want to protest and say, well, hey, I think I deserve a little bit more than that. Maybe not a whole book, but at least more than a sentence. But if you were constrained to just one sentence, what would it be? A one-sentence obituary. That would be a difficult task, wouldn't it? But it would put your life into focus, radically so, and demonstrate what was truly important and what is not. Tonight, that is all we have. One verse, one statement, about one particular judge of Israel. Not a lot. And you may be even wondering, can Pastor Smith do a whole sermon on just this? Well, we'll find out, won't we? By the way, I don't want Pastor Myers to whine anymore about me leaving him all the bad passages in every book. And I just taking the easy ones. If that happens, all you have to say is one word from thereafter, Shamgar. Okay, so whenever he whines and complains, that's what I want you to say, Shamgar. That is the name of our judge tonight. Though there is not much, that does not mean there is nothing. Because what I think you'll see is that this individual is in fact a very interesting individual called to a very peculiar task, and yet he does it. And likewise, we are called to do the same. And so we'll see this passage in three points tonight, the times, the task, the tool. First, the times. As we begin, it is right for us to ask, why only one verse? What should we make of that? Should we assign importance or significance to this? Should we think, well, Shamgar must not have been that important, or maybe he was not a very good judge. So he's only mentioned here by Samuel very briefly, but nothing more. He gets an honorable mention, so to speak, but surely he is not the top judge and surely not one of the greatest judges. But I do not think that you can say such things because I do not think that is the case at all. The lack of information might actually be quite the opposite. It might be actually that Shamkard was very significant in his time because he is referred to in Judges chapter 5. If you just turn the page In Judges chapter 5, the song of Deborah, we read this in verse 6. In the days of Shamgard, son of Anath. So what we see, first and foremost, is that Shamgar didn't just have one verse. He actually has two verses, but still not very much. But he is referred to here to, as as this taking place, whatever Deborah is talking about, taking place in the days of Shamgard, the son of Anath. And so in doing, it might be like saying, in the days of George Washington, 
or in the days of Abraham Lincoln, that those men were so closely tied to the events of this country that their name is synonymous with the event itself. And so too here with Shamgard, that in the days of Shamgard, everybody knew what was taking place in the life of Israel. And so this one verse may indicate that Shamgard was actually notorious, and he was known in Israel, and not much more was needed. He was a legend of his time, we might even say. And not to belabor the point, but let us be reminded that ink spilled does not always mean better, does it? Because later in this book of Judges, we will read about Samson. And Samson gets several chapters, let alone verses. And yet, you know the life of Samson, don't you? Not much of it is honorable. In fact, much of it is dishonorable. And so this one verse may actually indicate that there were not many exploits of Shamgard. And that is not a bad thing, is it? Paul, in fact, says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we have instructed you. And that should be what we are striving for as well. We would strive for the same, to live faithful, ordinary lives, especially in this day and age, especially in our culture where Everyone is always looking to make a splash. And your worth is defined by how many followers you have. And to have many followers, what do you have to do? You have to be very dramatic. You have to be out there. The more sensational, the better. You have to stand out. And you have to show everybody how great and how amazing you are and how wonderful you are so everybody will follow you on your various social medias. Well, that's not what we're called to, are we? That's not what Paul tells us. He tells us that we're to live a quiet life, that we're to be known by God, that we're to be faithful to the Lord. And in fact, that should be enough. In fact, our attitude should be that if nobody knows my name, that is okay, as long as the Lord knows my name. As long as my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that is sufficient. And by all indications, that was Shamgard. And so let us not assign significance to how much press is given or lack thereof. I'm confident that some of the greatest saints that ever have lived and are living are ones that we will never know their name. But God knows their name, and they will be honored in the new heavens and the new earth. And no doubt, Shamgard is one of them. But there is something very interesting about Shamgard, and that is his name, Shamgard. It is not an Israelite name. In fact, it is a foreign name. When the Israelites would have heard it, they would have known that it was not of Hebrew origins. It would be perhaps like today if you heard the name Mohammed or heard the word or name Jose. You know that a person that has such a name comes from a certain and particular geographical region of the world. And so too, Shamgard. And that is only confirmed when we read that his name was Shamgard, the son of Anath. Anath was the name of a Greek goddess. 
a Canaanite god. And so we can be certain, by all indications, Shamgar was not Jewish. He was not an Israelite by birth. And so what does that mean? Well, what that means is that most likely he was a foreigner that was brought into the covenant, the people of God. Most likely a Canaanite convert. He was perhaps very much like Rahab, as we read in the book of Joshua. And that is significant for a couple reasons. It demonstrates, first and foremost, that the destruction of the Canaanites was not based upon their ethnicity. This was not ethnic cleansing. That those that were foreign were allowed to come into the covenant people of God. And we see this, in fact, throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the very life of Christ and his genealogy. That there was many foreigners that made up the line of Christ. And so what we see in this passage is that Shamgar was a Gentile. And yet he was brought in. But what I think is even more incredible, that as a Gentile, he was not brought in as a second-class citizen. He was not less than. He was used by the Lord and used for the Lord's people. Shamgar was a judge of Israel. Let that sink in for a moment, that a foreigner was raised up to do the work of the Lord and do the work for the Lord's kingdom. That is incredibly significant because you might say, well, you know what? I wasn't raised in the church. I was not born a Presbyterian. My parents did not name me Calvin or Knox. I wasn't baptized on the eighth day. I did not know my catechism by age five. Rather, I came from a pagan family, and I was later converted to Christ. And therefore, I cannot be used of the Lord. No, 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 no. If the Lord can use Shamgard, saved from a pagan family that worshipped Canaanite gods to be a judge of Israel, then surely he can use you or me and will use you and me. And we should therefore be encouraged by this, that our past doesn't ultimately define our presence or even our future, that we have a new nature in Christ. Just like Shamgar was a Canaanite, he truly became an Israelite, meaning that he went from idol worship to God worship. And so to us, as we hear from Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that we were once not the people of God, rather we were aliens and strangers. And yet, what does Paul say? That's in Christ Jesus, those of us that were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we can praise God for that. Well, second then, we see the task that was given to Shamgard. What was he called to do? Well, he was called to rescue the people, the people of Israel from the Philistines. By now you understand the cycle that takes place in the book of Judges. And the people sin, God delivers them over to the nations, to their enemies for a time, for judgment and discipline, so that the people of God would recognize their sinfulness and their sinful ways, and that they would cry out to the Lord, 
And the Lord would be merciful, he'd be gracious, and he would raise up a deliverer. He'd raise up a rescuer. Those deliverers, those rescuers, were known as judges. And so a judge was not someone that sat behind a, uh, a judgment seat with a black robe. Rather, he was a deliverer. He was a rescuer. And through his rescue, even her rescue, as we will hear about Deborah later in this book, there would be peace in the land for a time. But then the people would do the same. And that cycle is repeated again and again and again. And so thus far we've heard about Afniel and how he saved and rescued the people. And last week we heard about Ehud and now Shamgar, the third judge. And so when it says after him was Shamgar, that is saying that after Ehud was Shamgar. So these Philistines were the ones that were used by God to torment the people of God. And if you know anything about Old Testament biblical history, then you know that the Philistines were one of the arch enemies of the Israelites. They were pagans, idol worshipers, and quite ruthless in their ways of dealing with others. We read of them quite a bit in this book of Judges, most prominently in the life of Samson later in the book. But the most famous of the Philistines comes quite later. And children, you know who this is. Who is the most famous Philistine? Goliath, right? You're not so friendly giant. We read of him in the life of David in 1 Samuel 17. And what would Goliath do day after day? He would come out and defy the people of God. He would mock them and mock their God. He would curse them and deal harshly with them. And that was the Philistines in a nutshell. Goliath was a representation of all the Philistines. And so when it says here that Shamgar killed 600 Philistines, it was not because Shamgar was just mad at them or did not like them or because they cut him off on the morning commute to work. No, these were ruthless captors. And the 600 Philistines that were killed demonstrate the Lord's judgment upon them. And now we think that Shamgar may not have acted alone. 600 by one man would be quite a feat. Perhaps he led a coalition of Israelites to bring about their defeat. But what I find interesting is that Shamgar was like them not much different than the Philistines. That's, as he is mentioned here with his name, that he was a Canaanite and that he was not a Philistine. Well, being a Canaanite versus a Philistine is about saying the same thing. They are both equally bad. It's much like saying, well, he doesn't play for the New York Yankees, he plays for the New York Mets. They are equally bad. Sorry, New York fans. But yet, what you see is this radical difference that takes place in Shamgar's life, isn't it? Instead of being one of them, being against God, being against the people of God, he's actually used as an instrument of the Lord's judgment against them. Again, it's not much different than what has happened in our life, is it? That we are new creatures in Christ. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Paul says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you hear what Paul is saying? That is who you were, but you are that no longer. There's been a radical change. There's been a radical shift that has taken place. You've gone from the side of the enemy to the side of the Lord. You've been brought from darkness into light, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Paul will say the same in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. But then you know what else he says? He says, says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. We are alive in Christ. That's what makes the difference, isn't it? Like Shamgard, who was once on the other team, walking in the opposite direction, was now brought into the family of God, walking in a new direction. He was given a new path, a new journey, not seeking to please self anymore, but pleasing God and glorifying God. That he was not even the same person that he once was. Therefore, our task is the same as Shamgard. If we have this new identity now in Christ, We are to go out on a a new path, a new journey. Now, we are not to do battle against the Philistines. They might be hard to find here in Georgia. But we are to battle against sin, against the enemies of Christ, meaning the world, the flesh, the devil himself. In that, we are at war constantly and continually that the Christian life is a battle and it is a struggle. And anyone that says otherwise is lying or they're already defeated. Paul, in fact, says in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That that battle has been going on since the Garden of Eden. That the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. And the course of this world follows the lies of the evil one. And our sinful flesh and our sinful minds fall for it too. And so we are to battle against those lies. We're to battle against that evil and against that sin. That is our battle. Again, not against the Philistines, per se, but against the thoughts and the philosophies and the ways, and yes, even the people that are opposed to God and his way. Because if not, we will succumb to it, won't we? We cannot lay down our arms. We cannot think that we don't have a battle to enter into. Rather, Paul tells us very clearly that we are to put on the the armor, the armor, the Christian armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirits. And we must do battle in this world. We're called to fight. 
John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that is absolutely right. Jesus says something very similar. In John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, and abundantly so. And so we're always in the battle for life, for the abundant life. And we are at war against all that steals, kills, and destroys. Well, third, then, we see the tool. The only other item of interest that we get here in this passage is the instrument that Shamgar uses for his judgment against the Philistines to free the Israelites. He uses an ox goad. Now, an ox goad was approximately a six-foot pole that would have a, a spike on one side and a spade on the other. I doubt you have one of those sitting in your garage, but we would call it a cattle prod, and that's what it was. It was used to, to drive the ox and the cattle forward in a way that you would want them to go because ox and cattle are big, and unfortunately, they are also very dumb. Believe me, I worked out on a dairy farm for an entire summer. Cattle need a lot of convincing, and the only convincing that you can give them sometimes is a, a little poke to inflict a little pain, to move them in the way that you want them to go. And so when we read of this ox goad, it was an agricultural tool, a herding tool. It was not a weapon. It was not intended to be used as a weapon. And yet this is what Shamgard used to kill 600 Philistines. Why was that? Well, most likely it was the only instrument or slash weapon that he had. Why? Because an occupying nation would not allow those that they are occupying to possess weapons. They would, in fact, disarm them. Why? Because a disarmed people are a lot easier to control than an armed one. That's why our, not to get too far astray, but our nation's forefathers established the Second Amendment to protect against governmental tyranny because they wanted this to be a nation of the people for the people. And the people needed a way to keep it for the people, not for the few, not for the powerful, and surely not just for those that were well-armed. Therefore, this was not a preferential choice. Shamgar did not choose an ox goad over a sword. No doubt if he had a sword, he surely would have used a sword, not an ox goad. So if you think this was an odd instrument, you are correct. But again, is there anything that is applicable to our lives? I think there is. Is this not apropos to the Christian life? If we are called to battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, what are the tools that we are to use? We're to use a sword, but not a physical sword, are we? Were you to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that through the preaching and teaching and proclaiming of God's Word, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that is what is going forward to, to change the world. That is what is going forward to conquer the nations and to bring all nations under the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ going out and being salt and light to be witnesses, to be servants by serving our community and world with acts of service and love. In other words, we do not battle 
in the way that the world does battle. We're not to use the tools that the world uses. We're not to use wealth and power and persuasion. Rather, we must stand firm on the means that the Lord has given to us, the means of grace, the means by which God says that he will work and do his work in and through us. That's always been the case, isn't it? That's why Paul can say to the Corinthians again, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirits and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you hear what Paul is saying? That our power is not in ourselves, is it? It is in God who gives us his word and his spirit. And my friends, that is what is changing the world. We do not change the world, but God can change the world, and he is changing the world. He has done that in my life. He has done that in your life. We are changed individuals through the word and spirit, aren't we? That's what we heard about this morning. Paul can testify how he had this radical change in his life. It was because of the resurrection of Christ. That is the good news of the gospel that we have the privilege of proclaiming. It's the privilege that we have to to preach and teach that week by week. And that is what is going for it. That is the light that is conquering the nations, that is bringing all the kingdoms under the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's taking place in radical ways, isn't it? You think of the nation of China or churches and The teaching of the Bible is banned. There's no greater place that the church is growing greater than in the nation of China. See, the government cannot stop it. It's not by political takeover. It's rather the church doing what the church does. And the kingdom of God expands so much so that no one can stop it. That's what Jesus said, that it is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, and yet it grows into the greatest of the garden plants. And that is the joy that we get to enter into as a church, isn't it? Spreading the word, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very much an unlikely tool, an unlikely instrument, but a powerful one, isn't it? Just like Shamgar's ox code. And to put it frankly, we too are also those uncommon tools that God is using for his work and for his glory. Again, the, the, the book of Corinthians could be the parallel to this one verse in Judges about Shamgar because in the book of Corinthians, again, Paul says to them, not many of you are wise, not many of you are powerful, not many of you are of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in this world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Isn't that a testimony, not only of Shamgar, but of you and me as well? And again, you might think, well, I don't know if that's true of 
of me. I don't know if the Lord can use me. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, a missionary. I'm not trained in the Bible. Well, again, what do we know about Shamgar? He used an ox code, which means he was probably a farmer. And as I heard one preacher once say, when you think of Shamgar, you should think of suspenders and a John Deere hat. <laughs> that was Shamgar. He was an everyday, ordinary farmer, an average Joe, an ordinary man used in an extraordinary way. And the Lord is doing the same through you. So when you say, what can I do for the Lord? I would say to you a whole lot. Just look at Shamgard, that when we use his method, when we use his means, when we're used by him, even though we may be odd, we may be abnormal, and we are. But God can use us in very powerful ways. Well, that leads us to the very last part where it says, and he also saved Israel. Just like Othniel, just like Ehud before him, Shamgard saved Israel. And think about that for a moment. A very average, nothing spectacular man through very odd methods and means saved Israel. Does that sound familiar? It should. That's why Shamgard is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though Jesus was God, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we would look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. We know that he came from Galilee of Nazareth and not from Jerusalem. He was raised in obscurity, not part of the ruling class. He was raised by parents that had no means, no power. They were rather teenagers and an average carpenter. And yet Christ came to do the work that no one else could do. He came to save Israel, the true Israel, the people of God, the people of the past, the present, and the future. And he did so through very odd means, didn't he? The means of a cross, through ultimate humility and humiliation and self-sacrifice. That which seemed like defeat was the ultimate victory through his death and his burial and then resurrection. Through it all, he defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil himself for all times. And he brought about the ultimate and eternal salvation. So as we come to the table this night, that is what we preach. As wonderful and glorious as Shamgard, Shamgard was a temporary, temporal savior, yet very much used of the Lord. But he was used of the Lord to pave the way for Christ, who is the eternal and forever savior. And so therefore, we can say that Christ is the greater Shamgard. He saved Israel. He saved us, not with an ox goad, but with his own body and blood on the tree. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.